Good morning, brothers and sisters. Good morning, church. Great to be with you here. Um, thanks, Brian, for inviting me. It was exciting to also be together yesterday with a nice dinner with the local mosque. We had a wonderful time sharing together. Um, I come from uh, Beirut, Lebanon originally and uh, serve with Crescent Project. And I want to start with this Arabic verse on the screen. It's John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Arab culture is a beautiful culture. We like to use art and calligraphy. So this is a... Uh, this, the Arabic verse of John chapter 10, verse 10. Many times people say to me, Fawad, why are you Christians so happy? Why you sing at church? Why you're so happy? We have chemical attacks. We have AIDS. We have racism. We have reverse racism. We have war. Why are you so happy? Why are we happy? We are happy because we found Jesus and he is the cure for sin. Sin is a disease that hits everybody. Whether you're American or Lebanese, whether you voted Republican or Democrat, sins hits everybody. And we have found the cure for sin, and his name is Jesus. That's why we are so happy. At Crescent Project, we believe that we need to pray for God to bless Muslims, and we believe we want to build bridges with Muslims. And yes, we would like to share with them about Jesus, our hope. So we ask Christians to pray with us every Friday at noon. We develop this bookmark. So I'm from Lebanon, Beirut, Lebanon. We always come bearing gifts. This morning I didn't bring baklava. I brought a bookmark. I would like you to pick up a bookmark and pray with us every Friday at noon. Every Friday at noon, pray for Muslim people. I said that at a training in New York City. And the gentleman in the front said to me, is that Eastern Standard Time? It doesn't matter. When it's 12 o'clock, pray with us. We started with 25 people. Right now we have 16,000 people. Can we get a million Americans who would commit, Lord, send someone to tell Muslims about you? This is my challenge for us this morning. Pick up one and pray with us. Now, Lebanon is a small country. This is my city. I grew up in that city, three blocks from the seashore. And Lebanon in the inset is a small country. It's the size of Connecticut. My dad is Lebanese and my mom is Syrian, so you can say I've been a hostage all my life until I came to America. <laughs> it's a joke. My mom doesn't like the joke. <laughs> now, I can drive from Beirut, Lebanon to Damascus, Syria in an hour and a half. I drove 24 hours and I was still in the state of Texas. <laughs> so just to give you a perception. Now, growing up in Lebanon, I'll share more of my testimony, but I got saved in the war in Lebanon during the Civil War. But Lebanon is in the heart of the 1040 window. The 1040 window is the country, it's a window for all the countries that if you are born there, the chances of you seeing a page of the Bible is zero. The Bible is illegal. There's a billion Chinese who've never heard the gospel, a billion Hindus, 1.5 billion Muslims. The Bible, the Arabic Bible is illegal. In Morocco, Algeria, Tunisia, Libya, Sudan, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, Oman, Iran. Millions of young kids, millions of teenagers, millions of business people, millions of people have never seen a page or heard a verse from the Bible. It's illegal. I can go to any bookstore in America, get the Bhagavad Gita, the Maharabharata, the Guru Nanak teachings. I can read the Quran in America. Yet today, the 21st century, millions don't have access for a Bible. A Turkish businessman moves to America. His neighbor is a minister. 
So one day over a cup of coffee, the businessman from Turkey who's in his 40s says to the pastor, why do Christians eat bread and fish every Sunday? So the pastor says, no, no, it's a bread and the juice. He goes, no, it's bread and fish. So the pastor asked the Turkish man, why do you think bread and fish? He said, when I was 12 years old, my father took me to a Catholic church, and there was a painting of Jesus holding a bread basket and a basket of fish. So I thought you eat bread and fish every Sunday. He thought it was a fish fry every Sunday. <laughs> He's in his 40s. Two Afghan women get invited by an American lady to her house, and she put the Jesus DVD. The Jesus DVD is a movie. It's in Dari, the language of the Afghan people. They're watching the movie with the hijab on. When the movie is over, they start crying. The American woman says, are you crying because Jesus hung on the cross? They said, no, we are crying that he rose from the dead and no one told us. It's the 21st century. Millions don't have access. A year ago in January, I was in Austin, Texas. And my friend of mine who lives in Texas said, let's meet downtown Texas, uh, Austin, to have some Tex-Mex. So I'm driving, and it was the biggest mistake. I don't know if you remember, it was January. Last year was the Women's March. 34,000 women. Two guys. 34,000 women with banners, equal pay. There was this mom with her cute little daughter. She had a sign, hashtag, girl power, girl power. Not one sign says, stop beheading women. Why you behead women? Oh, she was caught in adultery. Okay, I'm from Lebanon, but I'm not stupid. It takes two to tango. Where's the guy? It's her fault. Stop stoning women. Not one sign said stop stoning women. Yes, it's the 21st century. We have major issues. Look at the 1040 window and tell me, is the devil working there? Oh, he is working there. The last chemical attack before this one was next to my cousins in Syria, and they ran away till Beirut. We have major issues, yet today you get 90 seconds on the Middle East and five minutes commercials. Get my shampoo. The civil war between the Shiites and the Sunnis started 656 AD. Can any American tell me why they're fighting now? I get it, they fought 650. Why now? Okay, let's push the issue. What is the name of a black man in the Arabic language? Oh, it's okay. What did they call President Obama when he was voted? Oh, it's okay, let's stay, let's have some more Starbucks. People say, oh, we have racism on this planet. Okay, how do you solve racism? How do you solve racism? We have more coffee together? Is that how you solve racism? You can't solve racism, you can't solve sin unless you have the Savior Jesus. That's why we're excited. That's why we are happy. That's why when you look at the situation in the Muslim world and the 1040 window, we have major issues and only Jesus can save them. The next slide, today there are 7 million Muslims in America. Every red dot represents a mosque in this country. They come as refugees, as immigrants, and students, as business people. They are our neighbors, they are doctors, engineers. Yet majority of Muslim people in America never visit a Christian home. 
the loneliest time in America for a college student. I came here as a college student. The loneliest time is Christmas. It's all about Santa Claus. Easter is rabbit season, and you can live in this country and never hear the gospel. A 16-year-old young lady did the, did the bridges class and decided to do prayer walking. Prayer walking is fun. You just walk and pray. It's a no-brainer. You don't need a PhD. Just walk and pray. She discovered her neighbors are from Egypt. She started talking to them. The mom invited her in. They're having Egyptian chai, Egyptian tea, and their, their daughter is there, same age. So the mother says to her, you're a nice American. She goes, thank you. She goes, we lived in this house for six years. You're the first American to enter our home. Six years. An Afghan raised in Virginia. She hears the gospel for the first time when she was in her 30s. She said to me, Fouad, nobody in my high school, nobody in my college ever said hello to me. I knew there were some Christians, but I don't know what Christians believe. A Pakistani lady, her parents Pakistani, she was born and raised in America. When she was 25, it was the first time she heard about Jesus. 25. They are right here. Right here. They are across the street. Who's going to shine the light for them? Who's going to share with them that Jesus has come that they might have life and have it more abundantly? A couple of things I need to share with you this morning. There is a struggle within Islam. The struggle not only Sunni Shia, but also Arab and non-Arab. Our, our language and our culture is very racist. If you're an Arab, you're better, uh, uh, considered better than non-Arabs because you speak and understand the Arabic language. On top of it, you have the Usuliyin or the Salafis who believe that the best days of Islam are the days of Muhammad. So they want to bring the culture back to the 7th century while the moderates are trying to modernize. And this conflict is what you're seeing. Those who want to modernize the culture, modernize the religion, and those who want to bring it back. And God is saving from both people, from both struggle. And it's sad what you see, it's sad what you hear, but God is always moving. My theology is that God is always moving. But now people are responding different. So in the last 10 years, more Muslims have decided to follow Christ. And number one reason, they met a practicing believer. They met someone who knew the Lord, who knew Jesus personally. Second, they read the Bible in their language. Three, they saw a vision or a dream of Jesus. This morning, we are part of a series called the, uh, the Gospel. And my topic is the Unstoppable Gospel. So what is the Gospel? What is the Gospel? Is it a club? Is it an ideology? Gospel means good news. It comes from the Greek word evangelion. It's good news. So what is the good news? In Luke chapter 2 verses 10 and 11, the angel appears to the shepherd and says to them, Do not fear. Do not fear. I bring you good news today in the city of David. A Savior is born. Hallelujah. The good news is the Savior, Jesus, is here. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He lived a perfect life. He was doing miracles. He walked on water, stopped the clouds and the storm. He raised the dead, healed the sick. He gave us great teachings. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Wow. Jesus says, do unto others what you want them to do unto you. That's a good one for Congress. Jesus says, love your enemies. Jesus says, do not repay evil with evil, but repay evil with good. That's good for the Middle East. These are the teachings of Jesus. And then Jesus hung on the cross for the sins of all people. He said, it was finished. And then he rose from the dead 
to live in us. That's the good news. John 3.16, for God so loved, for God so loved that he gave. Change that verse, that he sacrificed, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. My brother, my sister, this is the good news. This is the gospel. Now, why the gospel is not unstoppable is because in Matthew 28, 18, 20, Jesus says, all authority has been given to whom? To the president? To a religious figure? To a king? All authority has been given to me. Because I have all authority, therefore go and make disciples. In English, it's a little bit weak translation because in the Greek, it's the verbs are together. So we think that you go and make disciples. So it's saying, you just say, as you're going. If you're a bus driver, you're sharing as a bus driver. If you're a nurse, as a nurse, as a doctor, as a teacher. As you're going, as you're living, you're sharing my teachings. You're discipling people. And he ends this verse, and I am with you to the end of the earth. The reason the gospel continues, because the gospel is Jesus' idea. It's not the idea of a church, or a club, or a country. Jesus is the one who's spreading the gospel. He's only asking us to come work with him. It's his idea. He is the author and he is the director and he is the one who's doing this. He is leading the gospel. We're not doing this because we think it's a good idea. Jesus wants people to hear about him. Jesus wants people to be saved. Now in Acts 1.8, it's a powerful verse. Jesus says, you will receive power. You will receive power for what? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Oh, what is a witness? A witness is someone who experienced something. It's like when I came to America and I had my first pumpkin pie. Ooh. I see Lebanese, hey, did you try a pumpkin pie? It's like being in the Super Bowl, right? And you see that pass and you tell your friends, hey, did you see that pass? Oh, you're watching the NBA? I know you like the NBA, right? And that three-point shot gets in. Oh, you are a witness. A year ago, 18 months ago, I drove from Santa Cruz, California to San Diego with my family. We went on Pacific Coast Highway. Wow, God bless America. <laughs> then I was teaching in L.A. I flew my son. I had frequent flyer miles. And we rented a car from LAX. And we drove the other way. My brother lives in San Jose. Wow. This is what is a witness. You experience something. You share with somebody, look what Jesus did for me. And it doesn't only mean salvation. It could be that something you prayed for, something you asked the Lord. And people need to hear. And Jesus says, it's a beautiful plan. He goes, you will be my witnesses where? Jerusalem, your family, Judea, your city, Samaria, your county, and to the ends of the earth. And in the 21st century, God is so good. The Samaritans are now in Jerusalem. The ends of the earth are in Judea. So I've lived in America now 25 years. I met people from Kazakhstan, Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, Afghanistan, Lebanon, Oman, Yemen. <laughs> right here. I did prayer walking in my neighborhood. You know, prayer walking is easy, right? You just walk and pray. I met my neighbors, a Tanzanian, Vietnamese couple, Korean couple, Filipino couple. They're all here in Indiana. They're here now in California, right? The state that welcomes everybody. 
that's another sermon. <laughs> but my challenge for you this morning, you can't be a witness unless you're experienced. You can't talk about the Super Bowl unless you've watched the Super Bowl. You can't talk about Big Sur and Pacific Coast Highway unless you experience this. My dad was a minister, but I wasn't a believer. It was during the Civil War when God dealt with my heart. I hated Palestinian people because they killed my friend Walid. And I hated Israelis. And God said to me, that's a sin to hate people because of their background. And through a big, a big situation, we lost family, friends. I went to my room and closed the door and I prayed. I said, Lord Jesus, when you came to earth, you healed the sick and you raised the dead. The more there is war in this country, I want to be a soldier of peace. The more there is hate in this country, I want to be a soldier of love. And God gave me love to my neighbors. I started praying for my Shia neighbor, my Sunni neighbor. I started praying for the Israelis, started praying for Palestinians. God changed my heart. My brother and my sister, this morning, if you have not taken Jesus as Savior, maybe Jesus is the Savior, but not your Savior. Right now, just say, Lord, I want to follow you to the day I die. Simple prayer. We believe the Holy Spirit is here. He can hear you. you nobody else can hear. Just say, Lord, forgive me for my sin. I want to follow Jesus to the day I die. And we believe you are saved. So Jesus orchestrated things for the gospel to go. The nice thing is in Acts 28, 31, it says that he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. With all boldness and without hindrance. The gospel continues to grow because Jesus is leading it. He's orchestrating things, but also because the gospel makes sense. It's the gospel says that Jesus is our redeemer. I was talking with Muhammad from Pakistan, and we were in Barnes and & Noble, and I said, Muhammad, how do people go to heaven? He said, well, on, heaven, on judgment day, there's a scale. If your good works are more than your bad works, you go to heaven. And if your bad works are more than good works, you go to hell. So I said, Muhammad, what if they're 50-50? And he goes, what? I said, what if, they, what if you get to heaven and they're equal? So he kept quiet, and he goes, well, my name is Muhammad. I said, what do you mean by that? He goes, well, God loves Prophet Muhammad, so he will only send me to hell a little bit and then take me back to heaven. And I said, Muhammad, no, we need a redeemer. You need a redeemer. Your good works are not good enough. It's not good enough. You are talking to God Almighty. The gospel makes sense because Jesus is the conqueror. He conquers sin. He conquers Satan. He conquers death. The biggest problem in this planet is everybody will die and you can't take it with you. So we come up with ideas and Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. The reason the gospel makes sense is because changed life. A Sydney refugee, he and his wife live in a small room. He meets his neighbor. His neighbor is a practicing believer in Jesus. So they start talking about Jesus. He gets baptized, and he was so scared to tell his wife. Finally, he got courage and told his wife. His wife said to him, oh, I, I can't be with you in the same place. She put a curtain in the middle of the room. For six months, she said to him, you're a kafir. You're an infidel. You stay on that side. Six months later, she got baptized. Why? She said to him, I've seen you before Jesus and after Jesus. You have changed. There's difference. My friend Hassan picks up the Bible eight years later. Eight years trying to find the mistakes. Becomes a believer. Ali, a Tunisian. 
picks up the Bible, three years trying to find the mistakes. It changes his life. God moves. The gospel makes sense. A Sunni here in America at work, and he's in Arabic. Where are you going, my son? Twice he hears it. He's like, who's talking to me? On Saturday, the pastor of the local church says, would you come to church? He goes, you've asked me so many years, and I said, no, I'm coming. God grabs his heart. He becomes a believer. God is moving. In a, in a Muslim country, it's illegal to have Bible study and to have Bibles. The secret police, imagine, it's the 21st century. The secret police raids a Bible study of 10 men, and they put them in prison. What do you think happened? They start sharing the gospel, and other prisoners start getting saved. So the warden, the head of the prison, gets upset, brings him to his office. He says, I will do a new strategy. I'm separating you. Each one is going to a different prison. <laughs> Thank you very much. Church planting. Yes, send them to different prisons. The power of the gospel is not in us. The power of the gospel is in Jesus. He is the one who's leading people. He is the one who's doing this. In a Muslim country where the church, there's a church there that comes out on the street uh, every Sunday and they pray for the sick, pray for people, and if people get saved, they get baptized. So a young lady got baptized. Her father, her mother, her brothers were all upset. Two weeks later, they show up at the church and they ask to be baptized. So the minister says, why did you change your mind in two weeks? So the mother says, since she was baptized, I poisoned her dinner every night for the last two weeks, and she did not die. You guys have a different God. You have a different person. I wish I had three more hours to tell you what God does. You are here as an ambassador. You are a witness. You don't make people Christians. You don't make people change their mind. Your job is a witness to tell them what you experience. God is the one who bleeds people. God is the one who brings people and I love this text. It says, with boldness and without hindrance. Our staff are talking to people on the web. On the web. People are asking questions. People are hungry. Last week, a Somali got baptized. He's been studying the Bible for a year. The pastor said to him, look, if you get baptized, you might get in trouble. And this is what he said. If all my family comes with daggers, I'll tell them, I want to follow Jesus. The boldness he has, it's his own boldness. He doesn't have to be baptized. It's a free country. He can change his religion every hour. Oh, it's America. You can start your own religion, by the way. You can even have a website. He chose to follow Jesus. My brother, my sister, the power of the gospel, it's unstoppable because Jesus is doing this. Jesus is doing. And the beautiful thing in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. It says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. You're just a representative. You just represent. A Sunni engineer attends a Bible study. He becomes a believer 17 years later. 17 years later. When was God working? Year one or year 17? All the time. Um, uh, uh, Imam Yusuf, Imam Yusuf is a Shia, comes to visit friends of his in, Nebraska, in, in the United States. So he has a friend in Nebraska. He decides to go visit him in Nebraska. Well, there are believers in Nebraska. So this man is in a coffee shop, just sitting there reading books and drinking coffee. An American 
starts talking to him, gives him an Arabic Bible. The Imam starts reading the Bible for the first time. He gets what Jesus says in Arabic. From their fruit you shall know them. He becomes a believer. Someone just showed love. Someone just crossed the street. My friend Muhammad goes five blocks every Sunday to an African-American church. He gets baptized five years later. I said, why? He said to me, I was mean to the minister. I was mean to the brothers there and the sisters. The way I argue with them. But the way they love me. The way they know us is by our love. Your job as an ambassador. Your job is not to convert anybody. Your job is not even to attack anybody. Your job is to speak about Jesus. The unstoppable gospel because it's about Jesus. It's about the gospel making sense to them through the power of the Holy Spirit. Your job is to share it. Now, I've been, I've been in this country for 25 years, and I love driving in America. I love driving and praying. I drove through Kansas. Has anybody drove through Kansas? Man, there are no exits in Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> Once you pass Topeka, good luck. And I pray, Lord, send a revival in Kansas. Well, I've driven on the Chesapeake Bay Bridge. That took a lot of faith. Well, I'm going to show you this one. Ooh, this is called the Chesapeake Bay Tunnel Bridge. I haven't driven on it yet. I love Americans. When they set their mind on something, they do it. Look at look, this. This is going into the ocean, and then you go under. Oh. The Chesapeake Bay Bridge. Tunnel Bridge. So if I'm standing here, I say to you, I have faith that I can drive on this bridge. Well, yeah, I can say that here. If I have faith, I drive on the bridge. This morning, God is speaking to you. Maybe the question that I'm going to ask you, do you believe God can use you to win someone else to the Lord? Do you believe that God can use you, not the pastor, not someone else? Do you believe that God can use you to share the gospel with someone else? And if you believe, take action. If I believe that the bridge can carry me and my car, I drive on the bridge. That's biblical faith. This morning, maybe God remind you of someone who's a neighbor. Maybe they're not Muslim. Maybe they're good old American. I was on a flight from Indianapolis to Dallas. I got the aisle seat and this big guy got the window seat. He looks at me he goes, uh, what do you do? I said, I'm a Christian minister. He said to me, I love baby Jesus. I said, sir, Jesus grew up and had more to say. <laughs> you know those people who still stuck with baby Jesus? Maybe God wants you to tell them. Maybe someone you know was hurt by believers, by Christians. Or maybe someone's going through a rough time and they just need a verse. Or maybe somebody is in the relationship and you need to pick up the phone and say, hey, buddy, let's, that relationship is not good. My brother and my sister, if you believe God can use you, let's take action. So this is how we're going to pray. I'm going to pray that God will give you one name or one thing to do after the service. One thing. Maybe God wants you to pray with us. Every Friday at noon. Isn't it a great privilege to stand and intercede? Or maybe God wants you to go on a mission trip. 
Or maybe God wants you to cross the street. Or maybe you, as we leave this place, God gives you a name of someone that you work with. Like in the previous service, a lady came up. She said to me, I have a friend who I've worked with, I haven't seen for a while, I'm going to call him. This is how we're going to pray. Lord, give us one thing to do after the service. Let's pray together. Abba, Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you that through him we can call you our Father who are in heaven. Thank you for sending Jesus to be born of the Virgin Mary, to live a perfect life, give us great teachings, die on the cross for our redemption, and raise from the dead for our justification. We thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit that gives us compassion. Fill us with compassion for our neighbors and for the strangers. Father, we pray today that you will ignite in us boldness, compassion, grace in the eyes of the people you want us to talk. Give us one name, one thing to do after the service. You told us to ask and we will receive. So we're asking in the name of Jesus. You told us to ask so our joy may be full. Our joy is your joy that no one will perish but all come to repentance. So Abba Father, we pray that you ignite in us a love for our neighbors. That as we leave this place, we will shine the light and share the good news with everyone we meet. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.